This edition of the Bio Report is brought to you by the California Technology Council, providing discounts on products and services essential to every startup. For more information, visit californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has been working to move Medicare from fee-for-service to value-based payments. It's seeking to get 90% of payments to being value-based by 2018. The problem, according to a recent viewpoint in JAMA, is that when addressing life-ending chronic conditions faced by older patients, traditional professional standards that drive today's metrics don't effectively address patient desires. We spoke to Joanne Lynn director of the Alturum Institute Center for Elder Care and Advanced Illness, and lead author of the JAMA Viewpoint, about what value-based care means for patients near the end of their lives, the need to recognize the great variance in patient desires, and how healthcare systems will need to change to account for this. Joanne, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Happy to share some thoughts with you. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has been working to move Medicare payments from a fee-for-service world to a value-based model. It's seeking to get 90% of payments to being value-based by 2018. What's the case for value-based payments as opposed to fee-for-service? What's HHS trying to achieve? Well, fee-for-service basically pays for each service. So lots of services are offered and uh, taken uh, in part because the providers are uh, making a living that way. Someone recently told me that if you had um, priests paid by the prayer, there'd be a lot of prayers said. <laughs> and in the same way, if we're paying doctors by the procedure, there are a lot of procedures that uh, become attractive to do. So uh, HHS is trying to shift toward things that are more valuable and make it less appealing to do those that are less valuable. So conceptually, it's a good idea. It's just problematic to actually implement. Well, paying for value, as you note, requires metrics that measure what matters to patients. You, you note, though, that most metrics used today are professional standards. Can you explain exactly what you mean and how well do these metrics align with patient desires? Well, um, for most of us, most of our lives, uh, they probably align reasonably well. You know, the pregnant woman wants the doctor to catch the baby. <laughs> she wants the baby to be healthy. Um, you know, we're willing to undergo pretty substantial interventions and treatments and problematic uh, stuff in order to be restored to health. So the professional standards for gallbladder surgery or for um, urgent treatment of a heart attack um, there's going to be a lot of uh, pushback from most patients. They're going to say, well, you know, give me the, the treatment pattern that um, serves me best. 
But as you get to the point where you're living with illnesses that can't really be removed, then personal preferences start really playing a big role. So the, they don't have to be the illnesses that will uh, end up killing you. They could be things you're going to live with a very long time, arthritis or um, motor problems like um, Parkinson's or you know, uh, hearing and vision problems. Um, people start having um, different opinions as to what's worth doing um, when they have to live with uh, chronic illness, and especially as the chronic illnesses become um, uh, more and more disabling. So some people um, have a very strong interest in uh, remaining independent. Some people don't care a lot about that, but they care a lot about uh, not using up their family resources or not becoming a burden on their children. You know, we have all kinds of things that become important when you have to live with uh, compromised health. And um, you know, the professional standards can't quite grasp that. So and the key professional standards is, would say, you know, you ought, to, you ought to have X, Y, and Z done, but the patient might say, you know, X makes sense, but Y and Z, not so much. But, but the key thing here, too, is that it, there's not a there's not a standard that there's a great variety in what people may may want at that point in their lives. Right. Um, and a lot of it is, in a sense, outside of the medical arena, but uh, affected by what you choose to do medically. So the person who desperately wants to um, you know, die with uh, the ranch intact or with their business intact um, is in a very different position than a person who has nothing to preserve or the person who has a spouse that they don't want to impoverish uh, or just the person who's you know, perfectly comfortable moving into a nursing home is in a very different spot than a person who just absolutely dreads that. So yes, people have lots of different preferences and, um, and what therefore what is of value to them is different. <laughs> Think how many different varieties of cars we have. You know, people have different preferences in, in all kinds of things. Well, part of the issue here is that we live and die differently today than we have historically. Death in general is not a relatively sudden phenomena. How, how has this changed and, and what are the implications of that? Well, you know, um, 100 years ago or 150 years ago, um, people did really die suddenly. Um, got pneumonia and died in a week. Uh, had a heart attack and, and died in minutes or hours. Um, in the um, I mean, people took leavings, you know, going away to uh, you know go to a, a city a couple of days away in order to sell your cattle was an occasion for real leave taking because there was a real palpable possibility that you wouldn't make it back. And we've lived comfortably enough in most of our lives to um, not sort of have that dread over our shoulders all the time. But, um, uh, you know, it's a very different world um, now where almost all of us will get to live to old age, um, traditionally past 65. And, um, and most of us who make it that long will have a long, slow decline um, uh, covering multiple years of needing somebody else's help. Uh, while that happened 100 years ago, it was quite uncommon. And usually 
you're in your 60s or 70s. Now most of us who make it to 65 will make it to 85. And we will uh, mostly have this long um, decline in our capabilities. And that is a very different way to come to the end of life. It's uh, very different than thinking that uh, you, know, you have a terminal illness or uh, a predictable course. So we have to learn a new set of, um, of standards and and um, to be more vocal about our preferences. When you we need to not assume that the doctor knows best. When you think about the type of metrics needed to address the needs of older and disabled people, what type of metrics do you envision? Well, there are two sorts of things that we really need to expand in the near future. One is to learn what lots of people in whole groups um, generally want. So you know, rather than assuming that everybody wants to um, have their heart tuned up just as well as possible, even if it means being in the doctor's office every week and taking many, many pills, um, to instead be open to the possibility that lots of people uh, would prefer a, a somewhat different course with fewer financial burdens and fewer um, troublesome issues like getting to the doctor and taking your pills, and, um, and, and to learn what whole groups of people want. And then the second thing is that uh, we need to have um, metrics that actually reflect what the uh, patient finds to be most important. So the person, you know, some of those examples I was giving earlier, you know, the person who desperately wants to not impoverish their spouse or to require that their daughter leave work um, is in a very different position than a person who has no such concerns. Um, and the metrics on what it is that is of value need to reflect those very different perspectives. So we need patient-centered metrics. You know, how well are we helping you pursue what is most important to you, not to patients generally, but actually to you? And, and will those metrics somehow have to be validated? And if so, how? And, and does it really require us moving from quantifiable to qualitative measures somehow? Well, we will still have to quantify, um, at least in the aggregate, um, even if the evaluation on each individual is somewhat qualitative. So you might ask the um, elderly person, for example, um, you know, can you work with me and tell me the kinds of things that are most important to you and get those documented and then ask the person periodically, um, you know, how well are we doing in helping you do the things that are most important? And the person might give it back to you on a five-point scale or on a scale from really not doing very well to um, really helping me a lot and couldn't ask for more. <laughs> and then you, you know, across a thousand patients, you add those up. And we would pretty quickly learn you know, sort of what are the benchmarks, um, really uh, excellent um, care yields an average score of four, and so the the uh, uh, practices and and um, systems that are yielding an average score of two need to improve a good deal. <laughs> so you know, I don't think it's all that hard um, 
to figure out how to ask people if they're getting what they need. And you, you, there are some technical issues, but a, it certainly is the case that the electronic records make this much easier because the patient would be, uh, or the family member on behalf of the patient, would be able to go in and actually enter their responses um, into the record and make sure that the goals that are that are documented are still the ones that um, everybody wants to pursue. Um, so electronic records make it, in many ways, more plausible both to be able to uh, get answers from lots of people and to be able to add them up in various ways. We, we mentioned a moment ago that priorities will vary greatly for, for patients. How much of a challenge is that to get the healthcare system to recognize that and address it? Well, I mean, there are the people who very much do not want to recognize this, want to you know, treat every patient the same, and certainly all of the metrics that we now use assume that um, at least every patient within certain categories, so, you know, mammograms are recommended at 50, not for people who are 25. So there's, there are uh, some very coarse um, kind of things that fit, but they're all around professional standards, all around, you know, what's the class of people who are benefited by mammograms, not which people, which women would actually not want a mammogram if well-informed about what it would um, offer them. So if you're in the, you know, if you're a 52-year-old who's facing a fatal illness from another cause, you're still counted in the commonly used metrics for mammograms, even though you can't benefit because you're going to be dead before you would have ever had the breast cancer. So, you know, we don't, we don't customize our measures to reflect the person's actual situation or their preferences. So a person who, um, you know, is uh, <laughs> profoundly disabled, maybe, um, says, you know, look, I've got enough troubles. I don't want to have to go deal with a mammogram. And, and it makes sense in light of their situation, but it isn't exempted from our current measures. So we need to have ways to, um, to modify the measures so that they really reflect uh, the patient's situation and preferences. And we don't do that yet. We well, do them in very you know, heavy-handed sorts of ways. It, part of this isn't very complicated. It really just requires asking someone the right questions. How well equipped are we to get doctors or other part of the delivery system to sit down with patients and ask the necessary questions? Well, um, a start is to um, begin to pay doctors for uh, care planning, which is in the um, proposed regulations for next year. Um, it's at least a beginning nod toward uh, noticing that this is important to do. Um, I think we also need to have uh, patients and families um, expecting and demanding that um, doctors talk with them about what matters. And... Um, you know, if the doctor doesn't or won't, um, you know, to raise your voice in protest. <laughs> this is not what you want. It isn't, again, it isn't terribly important 
if you know you or I have a gallbladder attack, we're probably going to pretty much want treated with the very best gallbladder um, surgery that we can find around, and probably pretty promptly. If I don't have very much input of preferences, um, you know, beyond kind of cosmetic sorts of things, you know, like a slightly better lunch at the hospital or something. But um, you know, once you're living with serious illness and the medical care is uh, burdensome and costly and requires major changes in uh, how you can live, then preferences become terribly important. And your preferences and mine on the, um, the desirability of moving to a nursing home or the desirability of uh, undertaking a rigorous exercise program or um, the desirability of spending a fair amount of our uh, assets to um, you know, undertake a rehabilitation program that isn't covered well by Medicare. Um, you know, those are going to be very different, and we're going to have to learn to um, expect that the care system will inform us about you know, what we'll likely get from the various possibilities, and then to honor our preferences within a pretty broad range. And um, I think that you know, the, the public will come to require that because it just makes sense in light of um, living a long time with uh, diminishing health. So it, it, it didn't make a lot of sense when you know, most people were relatively healthy and they were looking for a rescue from some acute and overwhelming illness. But the, uh, the world has changed. What's at issue here? What happens if we fail to address this with meaningful measures of what patients at this point in their lives want out of their care? Well, then the sickest people will do very badly. Um, you know, the, the metrics that are professionally established work pretty well for the mid-range of illness. But the sickest people, um, so, you know, where preferences uh, routinely matter, and if we're uh, paying on the basis of value as computed on the basis of healthier people, then the um, sickest, most complex patients, the elderly, the, um, the person living with serious mental illness, the person uh, living with a, an advanced illness of any sort at any age, um, will be tied to the preferences of a group that they are not part of, <laughs> and they'll be misserved. You know, they will not get what they need. It would be like having schools teach um, you know, mathematics entirely by um, you know, what serves the mid-range student, and the student who actually needed a little more help uh, is ignored <laughs> and and left behind. And I think that um, we would do the same thing for the most vulnerable, the most sick, um, if we don't learn to measure what matters, because um, we'll be assuming that what matters is some desperate effort at rescue, as would be the case for you or I, but uh, that isn't what matters to this person. Now, a whole lot of other things come crowding onto the stage and matter, and we've got to... Um, begin to develop the ways to recognize that where the sickest people are going to be tied to the preferences of the much less sick. Joanne Lynn, Director of Altarm Institute Center for Elder Care and Advanced Illness and lead author of the JAMA Viewpoint, Value-Based Payments Require Valuing What Matter 
to Patients in the September 11th issue of JAMA. Joanne, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.